Blog Talk Radio. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everybody. We're broadcasting today from another unusual location, and we're up in Lakeside, California. And we're probably about 30 miles outside of San Diego, which is now our new home. We haven't found a home yet, but it's our new home so far. Want to say good morning from beautiful California, Hanu? This is a beautiful location, and we have found beautiful locations all the way across the country, but it was such a relief to arrive here on the West Coast. We had that great sense of adventure, and we felt like we were pioneering along the way, didn't we? We went to uh, Nashville, Tennessee on our first stop, and then we drove all the way through the oil fields of Texas, which we were glad to get behind us. But then we arrived into Tombstone City, Arizona, and tell our listeners about what an adventure we had there. Well, first, I have to go back to the oil fields because our listeners don't know that you used to work in the oil fields many moons ago, Hannah, when you were just a young buck. So I had to hear all the history about all the oil fields and all the places you've been because you actually worked out in Texas for a while, didn't you? I did as a young guy. I think I was like 18 or 19 years of age. I went to Houston, Texas for the first time, my first time in the United States. And what an eye-opener that was for me, coming from Holy Catholic Ireland into the promiscuity and the debauchery and the wildness of the Texas. Everything was big, of course, as we all know. But what was interesting about that trip across the country from east to west was that not only were we going back in terms of our, our memories, we were going back to, as I said, that time in Nashville, the growth of that whole era in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and so on. But then when we came down to Texas, I found myself going back in time to that period of my childhood. And we were wondering what it was that was taking us back in time. And then it was only actually when we came to Tombstone City, Arizona, did we realize that not only were we going back in time in terms of the time zones, but we were also going back like as if we were healing the past in some way. We were letting go of old stuff, we were picking up soul pieces, and we were recovering from issues and and perhaps lifetimes that we had in the past. And in that old Wild West, it really brought home some deep, deep stuff that came up for healing. And that was a marvelously transformative time period. for. So the, the journey, far from being boring and mundane, was actually very, very spiritually rewarding. It certainly was. In fact, it took us two days to be there to uh, get through it all because I had a bit of a reaction when I got there. But, you know, in terms of releasing lifetimes and releasing the past, I have to say, uh uh-huh, it was very difficult when we went to get our picture taken, dressing up in the period day clothing, and they dressed you up in that Wyatt Earp vest and pants and waistcoat and hat and cowboy boots with a rifle in your hand and guns around your waist. I'm telling you, what's a girl to do? (laughs) The girl there that was dressing us up tells us that every man looks really incredible in those clothes. But I have to say, Ahano, you were really, really exceptional. 
Yeah, she really deflated my ego when she said every man looks great in these clothes. But however, <laughs> there was something about the dress in that period. There's no doubt about it. Even though it was dusty and dirty and there was a lack of cleaning and washing facilities and poor water and so on. But still, the people dressed well and they were proud of their 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 look, weren't they? You know, their, the cut of their clothes and the style of their clothes and the, the way they matched their colors and how proud they were of every little that they could eke out of that harsh landscape. And that was a marvelous thing. And then you have to tell everybody about that other little coincidence where you found this little book in a bookshop in Tombstone. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody about that. Yes, I found a, a little book written by a woman. Her name, I believe, was Sarah Sarah Brown or Clara Brown. I don't even know. Sarah Brown. Clara Brown. Okay, and she was uh, living in upstate New York, and then she moved to San Diego with her husband, and then he wanted to go mine for silver in Tombstone when it was just beginning. So she went off to Tombstone with him right at the time when the town was uh, really just beginning. And she was a journalist, so she'd be writing articles uh, back and forth to these newspapers in San Diego. So she was giving um, a very, like, almost week by week or month by month report on the progress of the town and um, from a woman's perspective, which was the reason that I bought it. So I thought it was absolutely fantastic uh, so far what we've read because you really feel like you're there, you know, while this town is up and coming. And um, So to go into the uh, graveyard, you and I visited the Boot Hill graveyard. And in a way, it was it was shocking uh, to read all the gravestones because uh, just about every person, you know, on their epitaph, every every stone said, you know, one said murder, the other one said shot, the other one said killed by Indians, the other one said hung, the other one said lynched, yeah, you know, hung by mistake. Hung by mistake. Uh, I mean, it was it was really shocking to realize that back in the day that was normal. So. You know, of course, we don't really put what people die from on tombstones anymore. But uh, then it got funny because every role you went to, it was like murdered, shot, shot by this guy, hung by that guy, lynched by this mob, and uh, suicide. You know, it was it was mostly females I found that were committing suicide. So it, it, it was it was weird, wasn't it, Ahana? Well, also in terms of picking up soul pieces and and that sense of going back in time. What I found interesting was that Angel Rose was born in upstate New York, the same, very close to the same place where this lady was born who had written this book that she picked up in Tombstone. She had moved to San Diego, where we've just moved right now, and she went to Tombstone City to live part of her life. She eventually moved back to San Diego. So it's like as if we were retracing these steps in some bizarre kind of a way. And then she wrote all about, in detail, all about the that famous gunfight in the OK Corral and so on. So it's a first-hand knowledge of what actually went on and the personality of the people involved and the, the how they lived, the actual day-to-day from a woman's point of view, which was really, really interesting, and how she survived amongst the male-dominated, masculine, testosterone type of, of new society that she found herself in. So that was all very, very fascinating. But then eventually she came back to San Diego and lived the rest of her life in California. So here we are, more or less doing the same thing, having gone west, having gone back in time, and picked up these soul pieces and done a lot of healing and forgiveness along the way. So it's really, really a blessing that we're here with our marvelous friends, uh, Linda and Tom, in Cloudwalk Retreat, 
in Lakeside, California, and how blessed we are. Yes, we just have to say that we're up on the mountain. They have a beautiful little home up on the mountain. And it's so peaceful up here, and the energy is just awesome. They're actually sitting right in the vortex. So we get to be bathed in that energy every night when we go to sleep, and, and their friendship is, you know, you just can't compare. They're just wonderful, wonderful friends. So what do we have going on today, huh? We have an absolutely wonderful guest with us today, Edna Massey. Now, before we bring her on, though, just to let you know that she is an animal communicator. She's a pet psychic. She does counseling for people and animals, of course, and she does Akashic Record readings and so on. So she has countless beautiful, beautiful, wonderful uh, abilities, and we're going to be talking to her in great detail very, very shortly about all of what she does. So before we get to that, though, we have traditionally our few little announcements that we want to make, and we want to remind our listeners, anybody who hasn't got Angel Rose's book, A Time of Change, do get hold of it, because it is really earning, rightly so, great reviews around the country and around the world. A timeofchange.info is where you can get it, but you can also search on Amazon.com. You'll find it there. You'll find it a Kindle version and so on. So it's a time of... Smashwords is where you'll get it on the electronic version, yeah. A timeofchange.info. A timeofchange, all one word. A timeofchange.info. Get hold of that. And uh, do remember, too, that you can also very shortly sign up to receive the uh, or pre-order her second book. She's busy beavering away writing the second book about the nature of reality. Now, another little announcement that we need to make, too, was about the Eight Steps to Freedom program, which we've been running for the last few months. It's actually an eight-month program, but we're only on the third month, and already we're finding huge, huge benefits, not only to ourselves, because they say the, you teach what you most need to learn. So this is a wonderfully liberating program that we're running called the Eight Steps to Freedom. If anybody wants to find out about that, just go to ahanu.com. That's my spiritual name, A-H-O-N-U.com forward slash Eight Steps to Freedom. The eight is the number eight, and Steps to Freedom is all one word. Ahanu.com forward slash Eight Steps to Freedom. And then another little announcement before we get to Edna Massey, our animal communicator, is the fact that every place we go, we find people saying, I want to go to Ireland. I've promised myself all my life I want to go to Ireland. Oh, there's a part of me is Irish, and my grandmother was Irish, and so on and so on. Well, every year, ladies and gentlemen, we run a mystical and sacred sites tour of Ireland. And if you want to find out more about that, we haven't, actually haven't got our full program up for 2013 yet, but we are pulling it together. But you can actually get a good overview of what it is that we do on those mystical and sacred sites trips to Ireland by going to mysticalireland.holistic.ie. Mystical Ireland, all one word, dot holistic, H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C, dot I-E. And you can see the the program that we had for uh, this year, 2012, and we will be putting up the 2013 agenda very, very shortly. Okay, well, I think it's time to bring our wonderful guest, Edna Massey, on. And I know you always do the intro, uh -huh, so I'm going to let you do that. Okay, Massey is a NYS licensed professional Oh, that stands for New York State. Ah, thank you. I wondered, and I didn't want to say it in case I got it wrong. New York State Licensed Professional Counselor. 
She's a nationally board certified and master's level trained with several years of broad experience. She's a member of the National Board of Certified Counselors, certified in equine sports massage and raindrop therapy, and is an NET practitioner. So she's going to be talking with us today about psychic communication with animals as well as healing animals. Now, Edna spent many years working for large corporate companies, both in communications and the wine and spirit industries, as an operational coordinator before realizing she enjoyed counseling and coaching. She pursued a graduate degree in counseling and developed a private practice in 2006. She says, as an animal lover, I've always wanted to find a way to better communicate with them. I started experimenting in 1998 with telepathic communication with pets and discovered that I could hear words, see pictures, and feel emotions emanating from the animals. And we're going to be talking to her about how she actually does that. That's going to be a wonderful discussion today. And then I learned how to translate it into meaningful information. It took quite a few years to realize that this is what I really wanted to do. She goes on to say that now specializing as an animal health intuitive, she helps support the animal-human bond by assisting clients to understand their companion animal needs. She lives in beautiful New York with her quarter horse and her mini schnauzer and domestic short-haired cat. Ladies and gentlemen, let us introduce Edna Massey. Hi, Edna. Oh, hi there, Angel and Ahanu. I am very honored to be part of your program this morning, and I'm very excited about this. We are, too. Now, um, I have to say, Ahanu, that it took me, you know, months to convince Edna to come on today. She was a bit shy. Okay. I, I don't know why she would be shy because she is just so talented, obviously, from her bio. And this 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 whole concept of animal communication is really, really, I think, new to a lot of people. And we're just delighted to be able to facilitate to get her knowledge out to the people. It's probably a lot more fun talking to animals than it is to humans. What do you think, Edna? Well, you know, it's not as difficult as one might think, and it's not as obscure as one might think. Animals don't have that ego body to run through like us people do, <laughs> so they're pretty straightforward, and you can um, you get information from them by they send you pictures or I get words or feelings, so they're pretty straightforward. I mean, what you see is what you get in animals. Right. So tell us, back up a little bit and tell us how you you went from being a counselor to um, well, first realizing that you could speak with the animals or that you wanted to. Okay. Well, I am a horse lover and I love to ride. And um, I, back in, well, in the late 1990s, like around 98, I, I always had a, a, an affection for mares, so, and I would always have difficult mares to deal with. So um, one of the horses that I was working with and riding, I wanted to know what she was thinking and um, if she could talk to me, and I would just kind of fool around and ask her, so what did you do today, and, you know, what do you want to tell me? And um, this gal's name was Sassy, this this mare I was, um, a quarter horse mare that I was communicating with. And I, believe me, I didn't, this is my first attempt and I wasn't taught taught by anyone. I just, you know, was experimenting. So what she did, and I didn't know much at that time, she showed me a rose 
with thorns on it. And I'm like saying to myself, well, what does that mean? I'm like, is she showing me her femininity? I mean, what does that mean? So I went back to the owner and I said, so Sassy showed me a rose, but it had thorns on it. What's that all about? She goes, oh, she was in the rose bush eating the roses. I'm like, Oh, all right. So now oh. I understand. So now I, you know, understand to ask more questions. But back then I had no idea what I was doing. But I knew I was getting the information, um, maybe not exactly in detail, but I was getting the information correctly because the owner would confirm it. So that was my first introduction, was working with the horses and, and seeing what they had to say to me. Wow, that's pretty incredible. But, you know, did you... Did you eventually get to the place where um, the language wasn't symbolic? Yes. Actually, you know, as I started to trust myself a little bit more, and many intuitive folks told me I'd be very good at this, but, you know, me being um, brought up Catholic (laughs) and very, you know, um, by the book, so to speak, and from an Italian family, I was very – it was very strict and structured uh, upbringing – so I really didn't think I had this ability, but I was starting to get questions from um, my friends and other acquaintances about their animals, and I say to them, all right, I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to tune in and capture that ed- energy signature and see what they give me. And lo and behold, I would get pretty accurate information. So I, right. you know, I said to myself, well, there's, this has got to be right because I'm getting confirmation from the owners. So do you get the communication in, I mean, you did describe how you got that communication in the form of a picture, but does it come to you in all different ways? Yes, it does. I actually hear English words from some animals. As hard as that um, is to comprehend, I actually hear English. Um, I also get sensations and I, uh, you know, sensations and feelings uh, and pictures, but um, a lot of it is in pictures, but some of it in words, like my cat this morning, she knew I, he knew I was very um, a little anxious about this radio show, <laughs> and I heard him say, don't worry, Mommy, you're really good at this, and I'm like, what? <laughs> but um, I knew it was right. I mean, I knew it was right. Inside, I knew it was right. So I do hear words, I do get pictures, and I do get feelings. So you put them all together, and you translate it. So it's like... A, um, you know, it's like uh, bilingual <laughs> instead of bow wow translation. It's just a translator. I'm just a translator. We want to stay on course in terms of talking about the animal side of the communication. But do you? Does it work the same with people? You know, do you? When you sit with somebody, for example, do you get this kind of communication in pictures and words and things and so on with people? Wow. So if I'm in a session with a person, um, yes, I do. Uh, Even though the person can be telling me one thing, I can be reading something else. I've done past life regression with um, clients. So, yes, in a sense, yes, I get pictures. It's almost like watching a movie, and it's fascinating. Fascinating. So yes, I do. I do get that same type of uh, information in the same type of way with people, even though they can, you know, actually speak to me. So yeah, and going back to the animals, do you think, Edna, if you were Chinese and you were communicating with an animal that would talk to you in Chinese, 
Yes, I do. Act, yes, absolutely. You know why? Because it's a tr- it's like putting it into a computer, and the animal is going to communicate to me the way I can understand it. I can understand pictures, I can understand feelings, and I can understand words. And if I was Chinese, I would get it in Chinese. I'm convinced of that. I mean, I haven't had proved that out because I speak English, but it's just like putting it into a computer. Yeah, I think so. And that's what I think myself too. And I, and I think that it's. It's really uh, thought forms and feelings that are being transferred. So, you know, you are right. How it gets downstepped into a particular language, um, I think, is just wherever you are and whoever you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's how you can understand it and how you're going to be able to translate it to your client. Yes. Now, an animal, to those of us that don't have this wonderful gift that you have, or think we don't, perhaps is the best way to say it, you know, we, 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 you, we, the way we interpret animal communication would be, say, the, the wagging of a dog's tail or, you know, affection of one kind or another. But you're saying that they can actually communicate in all these other ways. Can you give us some other examples of how an animal would, would speak to you and what they would say? Yes, I can. Um, I actually had a uh, boxer, a female boxer, Chloe, and her owner said to me, something's wrong with Chloe. She's not eating. Um, and I want, you know, she asked me if I could, you know, speak to her and see what was wrong. So, so I just, I, I don't, I just can connect to the signature, to the energy signature instantly. So I asked Chloe, okay, Chloe, um, what's the matter? She, and she said she doesn't feel well. Her tummy hurt her. So I said, all right, why don't you show me? Um, what's in your tummy? And I see her intestines, and inside her intestines I see these white, like, beans. And I'm like, how could this possibly be? So I said to her owner, I said, you know, I'm just going to tell you what I see. And I see they look like canelli beans, white canelli beans. I said, that's what she's showing me, and that's what's hurting her stomach. And her owner said to me, oh, you got to be kidding, because she was in the garbage, and that's what we had for dinner. So, I was, and, you know, she's Argentinian, so they, she had, like, an Argentinian dish that had white cannelli beans. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just going to have to go with what I see, because that, that boxer girl just showed me exactly what was in her stomach. So I told her, well, give her some, some probiotics. She'll pass it through. But right. that was causing right. her discomfort. And I actually saw it because I can, if I ask them, if I ask the animal to show me what's going on, they will show me. Most of them are pretty upfront and they have no problem because they want to get better and they want to feel better and they want to be understood. So, what's the strangest animal you've ever done a reading for? Have you done any snakes or things like that? <laughs> well, I have done a jackrabbit, my little um, Arshu boy, my little cat. He um, He's the great white hunter, and even though I live in a little townhouse, I used to let him out my back porch and let him go roam around a little bit. And he one day came in with a jackrabbit in his mouth, and I'm like, oh, my God, I was upset. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? So little jackrabbits on my living room floor, and I'm communicating, and I'm going to say, I'm going to try this. So I'm saying, what's the matter with you? Are you dead? And the, and the rabbit said, no, I'm just stunned. I'm stunned. I'm stunned was the word. I'm like, okay. So I had a little towel, and I brought 
him or her outside, send some energy, you know, some good, you know, high frequency energy. And I did a little tap on the um, on the, their little feet, and up he got and ran off. So it was very. They didn't, you know, the the wild animals don't have the same. Um, I guess, language as the domestic animals do. Because domestic animals, you know, they hear people talk. I mean, they pick up words and pictures and all that from the humans that they live with, but the the wild animals don't. So that was my um, introduction to, you know, a little uh, jackrabbit who just could tell me he was stunned. He wasn't hurt, but he was stunned. Right. And he, yeah. Did, yeah. He, he came by that to me. Now, another person might take the animal straight to a, a veterinary surgeon and, you know, be charged a lot of money for, for that same thing. So how how does what you do compare with a vet? Okay, well, I always recommend you go to a licensed professional if you're having um, health issues with your animal. What I do is complementary. As a matter of fact, I just had uh, maybe a half hour ago a gal whose dog is at the ER in um, in Wappingers, and they don't know what's wrong with her. And she asked me to take a look, and, and what I saw was something in her intestinal tract. Now, they um, to the, at this point, they can't see what it is, but they're leaning towards, you know, cancer, which, um, you know, that's, that's commonplace with animals. So I can, you know, I can kind of understand that. But it's ter- it's it's complementary. What I do can assist a vet with their diagnosis. It definitely does not replace it. And I will never say, listen to me, this is what's going on. No, you always go to your professional first. And then to get an enhancement or a broader um a broader information on what's what's happening you could talk to me and I can fill maybe fill in the pieces for you do you get to uh work with any vets and uh, are they open to what you do um well there's one vet that is open to what I do I haven't connected fully with her but some of the holistic vets are open to that. Um, a lot of the vets poo-poo it, um, and that's understandable because they're, you know, classically trained uh, in veterinary medicine. But I'm hoping to, you know, break through and and show some of these vets that I'm not, like, taking away their business. I can help them with their business and their practice. Right. Now, let me ask you one more question since you briefly mentioned cancer. Um, my daughter has a dog with, you know, tumors on its body. So you know how Louise Hay has a big book about cancer and all mm-hmm. sorts of diseases for humans? Mm-hmm. You know, do you get a sense when you tune into an animal that has cancer uh, what the cause of it is, or is it different for every animal? Well, uh, I recently had worked with a dog that um, had cancer, but you know I wasn't getting that as the initial um, the initial diagnosis. I'm like, no, I'm not getting cancer. I'm not getting cancer. But as it turned out, when the owner and I, well, the owner actually did the research, this dog um, had gotten poisoned because. Um, Originally, when the owner came to me and said, something's wrong with the dog, I said, oh, she showed me her paws. And I 
I heard her say she was poisoned. I'm like, to her paws. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, how did that happen? But as it turned out, this dog maybe a year prior had um, stepped in some hydraulic fluid, which had, um, I think it's benzene. I'm not sure if that was the, the element, but that, that obviously is a toxin. And a year later, this dog developed cancer. So sometimes um, when an animal has cancer, it's it's original um it it originally happens like way 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 beforehand and through some toxin or some poison i think it's the same thing that happens with people you don't realize like here i am and now i've got this cancer to deal with but it goes um it goes way back i mean it starts way back i mean this is like the end result it stops in the body and here you are, and now you've got this to deal with. But it happens much, much prior to the initial, uh, to the um, the end result and the outpicturing of it. So animals and people, yeah, the sources, I think, are the same. Mm-hmm. Now you're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu, and we have in the studio with us today Edna Massey, who's an animal communicator, a pet psychic and counselor, if any of our guests would like to call in, the number is 805-292-0349. Edna, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, please tell us your website because it is the case that the whole business of uh, on, and communication with animals and uh, keeping animals as pets, especially in this country, is a huge business. And it's not only from a commercial point of view, but also from a human interaction and a love point of view. It's, it's, it's something very, very close to a lot, a lot of people. So how do they get in touch with you? Well, they can get in touch with me by uh, going to www.equilibries, that's E-Q-U-I-L-I-B-R-I-S-E dot net, and equilibries actually means to bring into balance. And they can also call me at 914-584-5454. Fantastic. Now, Edna, do you also communicate with animals that have passed over? Yes, I do, and I have done that. Um, You know, energy is energy, as you know, and there's no time or space. It's not linear. So definitely you can communicate with animals that have passed over. Absolutely. So if owners want... Go ahead. And what have you found out about where animals go? Well, you know, I don't really um, know where they go, but they are in a space where they're not feeling the pain, they're not in their body, um, they're happy, and they check in with their owners at times. I know they call it the rainbow, you know, going over the rainbow bridge, but I could not definitely say where they actually go. They're just in another Space, another dimension, and they're out of their body. They're they're not in a physical form anymore, and they're doing okay. Now, let me ask you. This is one thing I've always wondered. You know, when you're traveling along the road, and you see roadkill, okay, mm-hmm. and you know that animals usually have a, a type of an instinct, you know, for danger. How they can feel vibrations on the ground, you know, miles and miles before those vibrations ever come close. So I've always been curious how an animal, if they have that ability, could 
find themselves on a busy road. And I and I said to Ahanu, I said, you know, do animals commit suicide? You know, are, are they like unconsciously putting themselves in a situation where they're going to be taken out for some reason? I know that's a very bizarre uh, question to ask you, but have you ever encountered anything like that? I haven't encountered that, but my thoughts as you were asking this question is I think, um, A, animals get confused and um, they get into a situation and it's like an, I don't know, so-called accident. They are confused. I think sometimes they do um, want to leave the earth for whatever reason. So I I think there's there's two two answers to that. Uh, They get confused and they want to leave or they want to leave. I've never come across that um, at this point, but I my sense is that they um, can want to leave the earth, just like people want to leave the earth, or they make arrangements for themselves to leave the earth. Mm-hmm. Now, for somebody who's listening and wants to begin communicating with their animal, what kind of questions can they ask? Or, or, or is there a kind of an introductory type of a question that they could begin with? So mm-hmm. as to begin trusting themselves, just like the procedure you said you started with. Mm-hmm. What should somebody well, ask? Well, what they could, a very basic, simple question is you could ask your pet, like if you have a dog or a cat or even a horse, you could ask them, do you like your food? Um, do you like where you live? Um, is there anything that's bothering you? Are you in any pain? Um, do you like your animal companions that you live with? So there's there's some basic questions you can ask, and they'll answer you. They will definitely answer you. What is, do you have a, a common um, complaint from animals? Uh, food. <laughs> they don't like their food. Uh, that's common. Um, sometimes with the horses, they don't like, um, they may not like the colors that you're putting on them. Like my mare, she's, um, got quite a personality. She wanted to have the color red. You know, she's a sorrel, so she's chestnut, and I like to put her in hunter green because I think that looks nice, but, um, she prefers red. I'm like, okay, so we're going to compromise on this. I'm going to get you a red halter and a red lead rope, but your saddle pad's going to be green. So animals animals have preferences. And um, it's good to to work with them and to negotiate with them and uh, to come to a compromise, just like you do with people. They're sentient beings, so they they have free will choice. They, um, They have their opinions. They have things that they like. They have things they don't like. And if you want to have a better relationship with your animal, it it would be good to to be able to listen to them. Now, have you been able to, um, let's say, uh, help an animal overcome a behavioral disorder by communicating with it? Yes, um, I have done that. I've done that with a dog, and... She always wanted to be in her. Uh, the owner was a was a practitioner, was a health practitioner, a, a healer, and she always wanted to be under the the uh, the owner's uh, feet and right in the thick of things, you know, because she felt that was her place and she was helping. So, what I did with was I communicated with the the dog and I said, okay, uh, you can be part of this. And you can be a helper, but you need to be in this area of of the house. 
so that I can do my work and not um not you know not be stumbling over you and wouldn't you know the next day the dog was um in her position uh in the house where she could see what was going on but not be underfoot so the answer is yes you can uh help with some behavioral uh problems i mean not not all problems there i did have a client who <clears throat> was an attorney is an attorney and she lives in the city and her dog is really a country dog, and there was just <clears throat> no way that this was going to, to work out. Uh, the dog was in the country on the weekends when she went to her country house, but during the, the week the dog was in the city and just had a hard time with it. And there's really um, there wasn't anything that I could do, e- even with the neural emotional technique, the NET um, technique, to help them. This dog just was not a, a city dog. So there's some things that just can't resolve itself. Now, what about, you know, when an owner leaves its pet and comes home and finds the house and the cushion is destroyed and stuff <laughs> all over the house? And wow. Is that, what is that? What's the motive for a dog for that? Well, the dog <clears throat> or the cat doesn't know the owner's going away, so they think they're abandoned. I mean, it's just like a kid, you know, say, if you don't communicate and you take off, and there's you take off for days, and the the animal is going to be like, well, what the heck happened? Well, I'm going to uh, be noticed, and I'm going to make a mess here because um, they're going to know that when they come back that I was upset and distraught. So animals, you know, have ways to get your attention, and uh, many times that's his, that's by negative behavior, just like with kids. They're going to get your attention somehow. So and you usually, dog, it's, usually it's bad dog, behavior. If, if you tell your, your animal before you're going to go away or you're going to leave for work, if you talk to it and say, I'll be back at 5 o'clock or whatever, do you think that would help? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, people don't realize that they're communicating with their animals all the time. They just don't realize that they're they're doing that. So you can tell your pet with the intention, okay, I'm going to be gone for eight hours. Um, they may not understand the time, but they'll get your impression of what eight hours looks like. And um, they'll definitely get that information. And if you're going away, you need to tell them you're going away. It's going to be um, this amount of time. They'll get that impression, and they will understand that you haven't abandoned them. Wow. Well, now we're speaking to Edna Massey, who's an animal communicator and a pet psychic, and she can be contacted at equilibries.net. That's E-Q-U-I-L-I-B-R-I-S-E.net. You're opening up a whole new fascinating possibility because you know to many many people the the impression heretofore let's say has been that animals are dumb you know we have we've dumb animals and that okay you can train them up to a certain level but you're opening up a whole new possibility here edna can you tell us about um does does what you do work with all animals including wild animals Oh, wild animals I have not the experience with, but um, I would think you'd have to 
um, taken their environment and what their perception of their environment is. Um, so I really can't speak to that. But with domestic animals, um, they definitely can um, uh, perform better and do what you want. You know, animals always want to please. And if you let them know what you're expecting of them, um, you'll get a you know better performance and you'll get yes. better behavior. Okay. Um, now, what about what about? It leads me to ask you the next question, and I don't want to get off the track too much. But let's say, because we're talking about communicating with you know another another life form, really another intelligence. So, what happens if let's say your house is in, infested with mice or rats or you know other kinds of animals? Can can you? Because we hear from time to time that people would actually talk to them and say, you know, please, this is my space. You know, I'm going to ask you to leave. And if you don't leave, I'm going to have to put down some poison or something. And the reports we hear from various people are that that actually works. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you find that that does work? I think, I mean, I haven't had that experience, but it, um, if you would communicate with the, with the animals, even um, mice or insects, um, Yes, they could honor your request, but sometimes, no, they're not going to honor your request. Well, guess what? There's consequences for not honoring the request. So you can tell those, um, you know, the mice or insects, well, okay, this is what the consequence is going to be because everybody has consequences. Humans, animals, everyone does. That's right, and I've done that before. In my own home where if I've had an infestation of ants, let's say, and I tell it that they need to be outside, and if they don't, they're getting sprayed. And um, a lot of times they do leave. Sometimes they don't leave. And, of course, the chalk line across an area works, too. But she threatened me with the same thing, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay, now I have a different question. Have you ever worked with animals that are in cages, such as birds, for example, like you know, there's always this, these mixed feelings about putting an, an animal of flight in a cage. So, or even uh, people who own snakes that grow really big and they keep them in tanks. And, uh, you know, have you ever dealt with any kind of animal that's in a cage? I haven't dealt with animals that are in cages. I, But my feeling and my sense is some of them are okay with it and some of them aren't. Um, and that's um, part of the beauty of being being able to communicate with the animal and trying to comply with their wishes. If an animal's okay being a pet and being caged, um, fine. But if, if an animal isn't, then there is um, should be some sort of compromise that can be made. It's just right. like uh, you know, with with when you're working with your your kids or you're working with anybody in business, anything, you always want to try to create a win-win. And it's the mm-hmm. same thing with animals. It's like they they have um, free will choice and they have opinions and and they need to be honored as well. Mm-hmm. What what is happening in the general world? with regard to the using the word psychic? Because you, you, you have on your website the fact that you're a pet psychic. Now, we find that that word, you know, generates kind of uh, mixed feelings amongst different sectors of society and government and so on. They look at it in, in a very 
strange kind of a way. Have you found that you, using the name pet psychic does it does it hinder what you do or does it enhance what you do? Well, I, I, I'm I'm now referring to myself as animal health intuitive because I do I don't like the word psychic myself. I think a lot of people think about that and they're like psychic. Are you kidding me? That's like yes. you know, you know. Um, woo-woo stuff. So I, I refrain from describing myself as that. I, I, I like to refer to myself as an animal health intuitive. Because I, everybody has intuition. Everybody has gut feelings. And I think they can identify with that better than psychic. Psychic seems so far removed. Yes, yes. And it seems there's a kind of a witch hunt going on hmm. uh, again, over and over again, following cycles and so on. So, yeah, that, that makes more sense to refer to yourself as an animal communicator and, and animal intuitive. Now, what about lost pets? How, is it possible to communicate with pets remotely? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I've done it a few times. Um, lost pets... Uh, lost communicators don't um, work with lost pets because it can be complicated. Um, I've worked with with a, with a few lost pets, and it happened to to be successful. If the if the animal's not injured uh, or dead, obviously, um, I can help them get home. And and I and I use a technique where it's heart to heart. It's the owner's heart connected to the animal's heart and there's like a psychic rope or psychic cord so that they can follow that follow that home but it it's not a, it's 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 not successful if the animal's injured um or, or if the animal obviously is, has passed over um and sometimes animals don't want to come home maybe it's not a happy home and and they don't want to be there anymore so it's it's it, there's a few reasons. I mean, animals could, you know, accidentally get lost. Uh, somebody could pick them up, and they're in somebody else's house that they've been stolen, or they leave home because they want to go on an adventure, and they don't, and uh, they may not like where they live. Uh, maybe it's not a happy place, and so there's there's all different kinds of reasons. But I've been successful with uh, getting animals home by using that technique of a, an energy cord with heart to heart connection. Mm-hmm. That seems to work very and- pretty well. Can you tell if a lost animal is is dead or alive? Can you arrive at that clear here? Well, I recently um, did work with a cat that um, that was injured, uh, and I knew the cat couldn't get home, even though it was very close to home. I I knew that it couldn't get home, and eventually, um, you know, the the cat just passed on. So I, I can identify if, if an animal is able to to uh to move and able to get itself home or whether they're um in distress mm-hmm. you know they do yeah. send me that information okay now i can understand when you speak about communicating with an animal and the various questions that one could start beginning to ask their animal you know like do you like your food are you happy and so on but what happens if an animal says, oh, I've got a pain in my right side or my back is sore, can you, you know, do do you have techniques that you can do directly, you know, kind of energy healing of some kind to help them? Yeah, 
Yes, I can I can send them some high frequency energy to to ease the pain and may possibly correct the problem. It depends on how far advanced the 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 physical issue is. I mean, sometimes it's to a point where it can't be repaired. Other times uh it's at its, you know, beginning stages and the the healing can work or at least it can ease the animal's uh discomfort. Uh, so, you know, yes, you can help. I can help with that, and and no, sometimes it's too far advanced, and and it's it's not going to do very much to resolve the situation. But they do take in the energy. They do accept it. It's um, not like humans where sometimes they have to run it through their front brain or through their ego body. Uh, animals will take it in. Animals are very accepting of of healing energy. Mm-hmm. And does it ever happen that an animal might reveal personal information about the owner? <laughs> um, no, not like trade secrets or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, they're they're pretty respectful of that. Um, they may say, "Well, um, my mom or my dad, um, you know." Um, Let's see something like they uh, don't they don't pay attention to me and um, they're reading the newspaper and I want them to pet me and and they're just sitting there ignoring me but they don't say things personal like oh um, I don't know something like um, I um, um, I can't think of it. I can't think of something right now but you don't get personal information you know that. Um, um, that's revealed. Whatever tell you if they're being abused, Edna? Yes. Oh, yes. I have gotten that. Um, matter of fact, I worked with a dog um, um, who remembers in the womb the mo- you know it, their mom being um, kicked. So even though this was an in vitro, this animal remembered in vitro of its mother being being kicked and abused. So, yeah, they can they can tell you that. They can definitely tell you that. What do you, you do that. in that case? Oh. I, mean, I mean, is there, do you supply any sort of healing energy? Because obviously if an animal is out of the womb, just like us, you know, I'm sure a lot of humans go through birth trauma themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... At least us, when we're out of the womb um, and you become conscious of it, and you can start healing some of that trauma. But, you know, what do you do for a dog who makes a point to say, uh, yeah, I, I was kicked in the womb and, you know, it's still affecting me now and I'm I'm a 10-year-old dog. I mean, you know, what do you do? Well, you can do the same thing you do with humans. Um, you can use a technique called NET, Neural Emotional Technique, which works very well on animals because they don't have a lot of the, um, you know, the filters that we humans have to go through, and that will um, get through to the, the the limbic brain, I believe, and will um, resolve that emotional trauma for them. So it works. That technique works well with animals. And do most so, people yes. hire you? Um... Do most people hire you for both, Edna? Do they do they just want to have a conversation with their pets without any healing, or are they open to, you know, if their animal says, I need healing in this or that, you know, do they hire you to do that as well? 
usually I'm getting um, clients where the animal's in distress and that they don't know how to resolve it or they've taken it to the vet or, um, you know, tried various other modalities. So I, I seem to be getting animals that are a little bit of a challenge. I guess I'm attracting that. But i that's what I've been getting lately is animals that are in distress. Okay, well, let me ask you this question, too, and then Hanu's chomping at the bit here for questions. <laughs> Do you ever have people, because I know with myself, when I do Akashic readings for people, lots of times uh, if they have a really close connection with a pet, they're wanting to know, you know, did they know that animal in a past lifetime? Uh, Was the animal ever a human being and now it's an animal? So do you ever encounter uh, situations or questions like that? What do animals have to say about this? Um, I've had animals of my own, uh, cats, that have been with me in a past life, and they've come um, in this lifetime to be with me again. I haven't had any um, clients that have had uh, animals with a past life, but I personally have had it and um, was was very aware of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I... Chomping at the bit was an interesting expression, seeing that we're talking about <laughs> animal communication. <laughs> I must have been a horse in a past life. You're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu, and we're speaking with Edna Massey, who is an animal communicator and animal intuitive. And we are discussing communicating with animals, and we're discussing about the, the healing of animals and what animals have to say. I have a question that I've puzzled over for a long time, Edna, and it's to do with, I can understand how animals of the same species might communicate with each other, you know, a mother cat with baby cats and that kind of thing, or dogs with their own species, and the same with horses in terms of the, 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 uh, what do you call it, the um, um, ranking in the society. But what about communication between animals of different species? You know, can a, can a dog communicate with a, a rat or a horse with a, a donkey? Or, you know, what's your experience about that? Well, I know that um, my cat and my dog talk to each other, and my cat's the boss. Um, so, and he lets um, my little mini schnauzer know it. So, yeah, they, they do communicate. Um, they... Um, communicate uh, obviously with behavior but um they also send out um you know messages like um okay this is my house this is my person and uh you're not going to get any of her attention today so um they they do have a, a communication i don't i haven't had experience with you know, say, wild animals communicating with other species. But I know with domestics, they they do speak. I think the wild ones do too, Hano, because aren't we just seeing more and more pictures of, you know, animals that would be natural mm-hmm. enemies yes. sleeping together and even nur- nursing each other and all yep. sorts of things like that. So that's an interesting um, question to bring to you, Edna, because you know how... You know, we're in this time of change, obviously, in our Mm -hmm. world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, part of 
what seems to be happening, even with the advanced children coming in, is that the species seems to be evolving. So now that we're seeing more and more examples of um, wild animals that would be natural enemies or even, um, you know, a deer coming out of the woods and sleeping with a cat that somebody knows or but I see one story of a bear who who kept kept playing with a dog with a family that was camping. Um, so do you think that the animal species is advancing um, just as the human race is? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, animals have a lot to teach us and a lot to show us, and I think that's one way um, that they're doing it by um, interspecies um communication among themselves and showing tolerance um, of each other. I think it's a lot of compassion and it's it's showing the human race compassion and that we are all connected and we really are one and from one source and, you know, the animals are displaying that. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I love it when I see those pictures and those stories of animals of different species taking care of one another. It's just so um, heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about what, the procedure. What happens if somebody wants to engage you to communicate with their domestic pet? And, and can you cover a whole bunch of uh, things like how long a session lasts and how much does it cost and what's involved and can the person be with you while you're doing it and that kind of thing? Yes, yeah, sure. Um well, first of all, um, I work much better remotely because there's no distraction and no interference. Um, and a session will last maybe 20 minutes, uh, maybe 40 minutes, depending on what the owner um, wants to know and what's going on with the animal. And I generally charge like $50 um, for 20 to, you know, anywhere from 20 to, to 30, 40 minutes. Um, the owner doesn't have to be present at all. Um, I can just go in and capture the signature, just connect to the signature and, and, you know, start communicating with the animal. So uh, distance, there's no distance issue. Um, Everything is energy, so you don't have that time, space situation going on. Um, And the owner doesn't have to be present. And when you when you speak about the energy signature, do you need a photograph of the animal mm-hmm. in order to begin that connection, or is it more like a, a psychic connection or a? Yeah, it's like a psychic connection. I, I I don't need a picture. I, I like to have the animal's name and I like to have the animal's gender and age. Um, that's just to help me focus a little bit. But many times the animal um, will show me what they want me to see first, and it may be their coloring, it may be, you know, what they look like, and they just want to show themselves. Uh, but I don't need a picture. Um, I just need, I, I like to have the name and age and and gender, and, that, and that's about it. But animals will, will first... Um, when I first communicate with them, want to want to show me a few things like um, what they look like, where they're living, um, things that are important to them or, or significant to them. They may not be significant, you know, to the, their owner or you know to me, but it's significant to the animal. So I always honor that and always tell the the owner, okay, your animal is showing me this, and your animal is you know you know wants you to know you know this about them. 
So mm-hmm. I always, you know, you know, want to be there and and listen and and let the animal know that I'm, you know, there to to listen to them because that's really all they want to know is that, yes. you know, can you hear me? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, I, I'm absolutely delighted with having you on the air with us today, Edna Massey, because these are questions that I'm sure so many, many people want answered. And, you know, heretofore we haven't heard of many animal communicators, and it's a blessing that you're with us. Now, I want to squeeze in for the benefit of our audience as many questions as is possible, but also let people know that they can contact you through your website, equilibrees.com. Net. Just give us your telephone number again real quick, and then I've got sure. a bunch more questions for you. Okay. It's 914-584-5454. Excellent. Okay. Now, an animal, when you talked about um, how the session actually works, can you deal with more than one animal at the same time? Oh sure, and you know, I, and there are several I, animals in a family. Mm-hmm. I yeah. and I have done that. I have um, I've done um, a couple of animals at one time, and sometimes um, it requires uh, a uh, the other animals because they're part of the situation. So absolutely, yeah. yes. You know, I I, I probably uh, it probably would be a little bit um, confusing to do more than maybe three or four because then there's a lot of uh, stuff going on and you know mm-hmm. it, it's too much. It's just like you're in a in a room and you've got five people talking to you at once. It's like oh wait a minute, right. I have to like focus here. But yeah, three or four is fine. And do you find it? Do you have clarity around that? In other words, this is the dog speaking, this is the cat speaking, this is the parrot talking, you know, all in the one family. Do, do you know who is saying what? Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely, because they each have their own unique energy signature. Right. And they're, right, right. And they're going to send things to you the way, um, you know, the, the, the way that they want to be heard. So yeah. it's, it's, it's more, like I said, it's like translation. It's you just have to maybe speak Spanish or French or Italian or yeah. Gaelic. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard. I know. Wouldn't that be a wonder? Yeah. Do you think that would be like, like you know, Edna? You know, when when people meet a Hanu, especially women, and he starts talking, they say, "Oh, we don't care what you say, just keep talking." You know. <laughs> I wonder would animals have that? Would an American animal meet an Irish animal and say, "Oh, I love your accent." <laughs> just keep talking. Oh, I don't know. But I I can imagine that happening. I can I can imagine it happening, and I can imagine the animal saying, "Oh, you t- you speak funny, or you know, you don't sound like me." You know, they, yeah, they have a lot of expressions, and um, more so than one realizes. Yes, I think they definitely have their own little personalities for mm. sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, without a doubt, they each have their own personality. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I have done very, very successfully in the past for for human families is uh, a family crest. But it's a family crest with a difference. In other words, what I do is, I, I like you, I connect with the energy signature of the person's name, and I'm able to go back in time, as it were, to the sound of the name before there was any distortion. Because you know how people have a family crest, and there's always symbols of war or battle and their swords yes. and shields and all kinds of things in the in the symbolism of their family crest. Well, what I do is go beyond that, go back to when there was no 
distortion of the name, and it's pure divine perfection, right? And that mm-hmm. seems to make huge changes to the family. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it has to do with the sound of the person's name. And I believe, coming from Ireland, where, you know, when a person mentions their name, you can actually tell a whole bunch about the person before they even mm-hmm. open their mouth. And mm-hmm. I, I want to know from you, in terms of the name of an animal, because like, you did mention that you need to know, the, or you like to know the animal's mm-hmm. name first. Do animals react to their name? Like, let's say, you know, does a dog like being called Spot, or, or a, a cat mm-hmm. being called Minnie, or, you know, do, do they have preferences themselves? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. they, they don't necessarily like their name. Um, hmm. My mare, um, you know, she's pretty, um, she, uh, she's got a pretty strong personality, she's a dominant mare. And I wanted to call her Sage. I don't know. I was into like, oh, I'm going to call her Sage. But you know what? Um, her nickname was Boots from the farm that I got her from. They called her Boots because she had four white socks that looked like Boots. And that's what she wanted to be called with a Z on the end, not not wow. just Boots with an S. She, no, I like the name Boots. You know, I call her Badass Boots because she's very strong, very strong and, and, and dominant. But, yeah, they have a preference. There, there are animals that don't like their name. They'd rather be called something else. Yes. But how does it affect them, though, in, in practical terms? You know, if, some, if a dog's been called Spot all its life and it wants to be called Shep instead, you know, how, how does it react well, you know, um, sometimes the animal is not going to come when they're called. I mean, they can exhibit um, uh, behaviors of, of rebelliousness so much, like, um, okay, so the animal, the dog doesn't want to be called Spot. Well, all right, maybe I just won't uh, come on the first call when they call me Spot. Maybe they'll understand that I really don't like that name, but. You know, the owner, a lot of times, isn't getting it. But they, they send little messages through. And if, you're, and if you can tune in to them, you're, you're just going to have a better life with your pet. You know, if people could, would be more open and understand that their pets really want to communicate and, want, and really want to be heard, just like people want to be heard, they'll have a I, much I better have, relationship. Yeah, I, I have a little story, and then I have a question. Um, my parents had a small poodle one time. They got the small poodle. And uh, I don't know what name they gave it, but the dog would never come to it, you know? So at, at the time, the husband I was with is a joke, you know? He, we came over to see the dog, and he goes, it was such a small little yapper, he goes, hey, killer. And didn't that be what the dog wanted to be called, you know? <laughs> this small <laughs> little dog would only answer to the name killer. And... Uh, it's so funny because that's what my parents ended up calling him for the rest of the time. And if you saw the dog, you know, of course, he was harmless as a lamb. But um, that's the name that he responded to. It was just kind of comical. Yeah, okay, that's, so good. My, that, that's good. That's, you know, he was getting his message across. Yeah, I just have uh, one more question about the names. I mean, what you're saying is it's obviously very important to connect with the animal and, and find what the name is that they like. But what happens historically, you know, with animals who have grandiose names like Zeus or, or chaos, yeah, <laughs> and I've heard of a dog called Chaos too. Well, how how do they react to that? Well, some animals will take on the persona of that name, like uh, an animal named Zeus will take on that big personality. Um, yes. So they'll just kind of like go right into the energy of the name and and take it on and. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's what they'll be, big, like, you know, Zeus, you know, strong and powerful and lots of thunder, you know. So mm-hmm. they'll they'll take on their name. Um, so some of them will just, um, you know, not be very responsive when you call them. Some of them will go, if they like their name, will take on that persona. Um and others will, you know, even if, and the opposite, you know, if they have a, like a, a, a more, I don't want to say a weak name, but a, a more uh, um, milk toast type name, they'll take that on too. Okay, you, you're calling me like baby cakes? Well, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a little baby. <laughs> we you have know. friends too who have a, a cat who's black and white and they call it Ying Ying. And this cat is constantly crying, you know. It's like, I, I said to them, yeah, it doesn't know what it is. It's Ying or Jang or what is it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. they thought I was joking, but I was actually serious. So, okay, my other question was, um, people have such a difficult time when they have to euthanize an animal, you know, either through illness or, you know, in my case, I had a chow who um, wasn't bred very well. Consequently, the chow was unusually um, aggressive, Okay just turn on a dime and, and bite somebody, and yet then the next minute it'd be as gentle as a lamb. And uh, mm-hmm. I ended up having to put the dog down. But how do animals feel about being euthanized? Well, um, many of them want to be euthanized uh, because um, the the health issues are not going to resolve itself and they're in pain and they're, they're really ready to go. Um, many times the owner is just... Um, you know, hanging on and, and doesn't know if they're doing the right thing. And, um, you know, uh, they want to do the best thing for their animal, but they're they're not always sure. But animals, yeah, are okay with being euthanized if they're ready to go. And you really, you know, you got to trust your gut, you know, trust your intuition that you're doing the right thing and, and then just let it go, you know, just let it go. But there are some animals that come into the world with their brains scrambled, Um like your chow, uh, could it, the, the breeding just didn't um, go right. The genetics uh, comes, you know, the dog gets a a, a brain that's scrambled, um, really, physically scrambled, and the, and the, the neurotransmitters just aren't firing properly. Um, so they know that they're not, um, you know, handling this 3D world very well, and they're okay with moving on. It's not as bad as as a as an owner might think to euthanize. It's actually um um the best route and it's peaceful and it's painless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we have a number of callers on the line. Would you be able to take a, a quick call from Sure. Uh, yeah. Okay, just bear with us a second. We have sure. a caller from area code five zero four. Go ahead, caller. Hey, Hanu, thank you. How are you doing? Ah, Chandelier. Ah, now, listen, this is absolutely wonderful and very fortuitous that you're on the line, Chandelier, because we know from you that you actually communicate with whales and dolphins. And you've been listening to our guest today, Edna Massey. Edna, how the communication with animals that are not domestic, I did ask you about wild animals and so on, but I think it's fairly evident at this stage that people do get great communications and great love connection with whales and dolphins. Can you talk to us for a moment about that? Well, I haven't had personal experience with whales and dolphins, but 
Um, they have um, they're very intelligent um, mammals, and they can communicate uh, as well as uh, domestic animals can. I mean, uh, people need to understand that um, just because it's not in a human form doesn't mean that there isn't intellect there, feelings there, uh, opinions there, and a willingness to communicate. They are willing to communicate. We just have to listen. And it may sound very simplistic and basic, but it is basic. Mm -hmm. Do you have any uh, stories that you can tell us, um, Shondalee, about the communications that you have with whales and dolphins? Uh, well, basically, they channel their frequencies through me for the human heart and for humanity. And they'll make their sounds, they'll channel their sounds through me and what have you to assist in the healing as well. And for the most part, I don't always know what they're saying. And we, I leave it as that because of the sounds. That's what sounds were that they needed to hear and sometimes when it goes filters through the mind we can distort it and turn it around so sometimes it's really wise not to fully understand what that sound means or what have you with that yeah. um, do I I wanted to ask a question too about um the, lady, the landlady that I live with here that I rent a room from, she has a black and white cat. And I just so love this kitty. Her name's Petsy Jane, but I call her Kiki. I just don't see her as being a Petsy Jane. I, I feel more yes. he's calling her Kiki. And I love her so much, but she won't let me pick her up and hug her and kiss her. She's just real, she's a rescue. And I just really... It's like, gosh, it's so hard not just to want to, you know, because she won't let me pick her up and hug her and love her. Well, she loves that name, Kiki, because I just went like went in there, and she loves that name. She loves that name. But she's just very shy. She's got a very shy nature. Um, I think if you um, gave her some time and allowed her to come to you when she's ready, I think you'll make some progress with her, and she'll let her pet you and, and pick you up. But it's going to take some time with this gal because she's, she's very, very shy and very, um, I don't want to say skittish, but she's shy, really shy, but she loves that name. She loves Kiki. Oh. Oh, great. <laughs> I think if you spend some time with her and just allow, um, she's going she's gonna to come to you. Okay. She, she wants to. She's just a little skittish. She's like, you know, she hasn't had such great experiences with humans. It's been more, it's been very abrupt, and this is what I'm getting right now from her. It's been very, um, you know, abrupt and, and, and kind of harsh. So she has to, you know, get that trust thing going. Okay, because her, even her owner won't let her pick her up and hug on her except mm. now and then. So that's okay. Thank you. I yeah, I just has, it's it's got to be in little Kiki's time. She has to be um, in charge. Like she's got to be in charge of of how this is going to come down. Okay, thank you for sharing that with me. I really oh, you're welcome. Sharing with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, welcome. Welcome. Lee. And then, can I ask welcome. you? Can I ask you about a dog that I had real quick? Mm-hmm. Because I go into a, a lot of grief about this. But uh, 
I had a dog when I lived out in the desert. Uh, it was a stray that um, we picked up from a diner, and um, a very special dog. It was a Kuvaz, and a uh, big white dog, you know, a Tibetan breed. Anyway, uh, through circumstances in my life, I ended up uh, giving the dog away to a family who has a farm. Uh, I basically, you know, went through a tragedy, and I really couldn't take care of it um, the way that I felt it deserved. You know, I used to be able to run all around the desert. And, um, you know, I ended up being in a trailer and being pretty uh, unsettled in my life. So I wanted it to be able to run again. She, I wanted her to be able to run again and, um, you know, have have freedom. So I gave her to a family with children. Can you just check on Kuvaz and see how she's doing? Because I... I go through times where my heart just aches for that dog. <laughs> hmm. I feel it. I feel it. Um. You know, she still thinks about you. Um. She knows the decision you made was for her well-being, and she's okay with that. But um, she does think about you, and I see her. I see her. Um. It's kind of a little bit sad because I I can definitely feel this. Um. I see her. You know. Um. Uh, you know, thinking of those days with you, and she's a, she's a little sad, but she's okay with the family she's with, and she knows that you made that decision for her well-being. It's really, really pretty beautiful. Yeah, I do. You know, at it, the time, the uh, new owner left me her phone number and said, you know, every time you want to come visit Kuvaj, you can. But, you know, that was, I moved around quite a bit, and, you know, I've just been real unsettled. My life is just been like that since then and now I don't have current contact details you know but every now and then I think oh if I if I stopped at that house and saw Kuvaz would she run up to me you know would she remember me oh absolutely uh, without a doubt without a doubt without a doubt she thinks about you when you think about her she's connecting to you she thinks about you so you have that um, energetic connection going but she knows and she's okay with the decision you made because she knows that you did it out of your heart and out of love and that it was the best thing for her. So it's it's okay. It's, it's all good. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> this is such a beautiful opportunity that we have to spread this message to our listeners. Edna Massey, it's a, it's a joy to have you on and speaking about animal communication. I want to try and squeeze in another few questions in, in the last like 10 minutes that we have here on the show today. Uh, the whole question of electromagnetic frequencies. Now, we understand from a human perspective that you know we're bombarded with pulsing of all kinds and cell towers and all that kind of thing. Does that kind of you know low frequency affect animals in any way? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because you know we're all connected. So um they have the same you know they they have the same energy going through their systems as well it absolutely uh affects them um luckily they don't wake up to alarm clocks or have cell phones you know so they're um not as exposed uh, as we are like with microwave cell phones and you know uh, electronics and stuff but if they are in a in a field with um cell towers or um electrical towers that that is going to affect them and and sometimes they get illnesses and the owner can't you know doesn't understand where they came from but um 
that's that can be a cause of of dysfunction in animals. So absolutely, they're affected by it, just like we are. But luckily, they're not exposed um, to the same type of electronics, you know, that mm-hmm. that humans are. And would they would they tell you? You know, uh, and my question really has been driven by the fact that uh, there's a family we know where they actually turn, choose to turn off the electricity at the mains in their in their home, and they found mm-hmm. si- at night, yeah, at night, yeah. And mm-hmm. since they did mm-hmm. that, they said that their sleep is so much better. Now, if mm-hmm. you have an animal who sleeps in a, in a room, say, right beside a electricity outlet, or you know, in, in some place close to electromagnetic uh, frequency waves. Okay, would they tell you that they need to sleep somewhere else? Is that the kind of? Uh, yes, actually, they would. They would say they would say something like, "Okay, um, it's not comfortable for me to be sleeping in this area of the room." They may not. They don't. They may not understand. Well, they probably won't understand that it's electromagnetic frequencies, but they know something's going on that's making them uncomfortable, and they don't like that area of the room. And right. they will tell you that. And then it's up to the human to figure out. Okay, let's say. What's going on in this area of the room? Let's you know, and you you kind of like drill it down, and then you can figure out what's happening. But absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm sorry for bombarding you with these questions, but as I it's say, okay. <laughs> it's wonderful that we're able to get so many questions in that I know are on the minds of a lot of people. And the, the next question I want to ask, and it's puzzled my, me for many, many years, how does a, a, an animal, but I think particularly dogs, see ghosts and see etheric beings and that kind of thing? <laughs> Wow. Okay, because animals don't have the same filters we folks do. Um, our front brain kind of um, gets in the way and does, you know, kind of blocks us, you know, from our, you know, uh, our third eye um, that gets blocked. But animals don't have that filter, so they can they can sense. Um, they can definitely sense an energy that's that's in the ethers here. You know, if somebody hasn't, um, you know, crossed over uh, an animal or a human, um, they can definitely sense that. Um, they they have their hearing, their their sense of smell um, are, are 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 very highly you know tuned. They're in a um, on a different like frequency than 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 we are. So they they definitely can sense that. Plus, they don't have that filter to go through. You know, we have a filter that says, nah, I couldn't possibly be seeing that or hearing that or feeling that. They, they don't have any of that nonsense going on. So do they, they don't react negatively then, in other words. Let's say there's a house where there's a, a presence there, and, you know, the family may be interfered with by this presence. Are, are you saying mm-hmm. that the, the dog or the cat wouldn't, wouldn't be affected by it at all? No, I don't think the the animals get the same type of um they they're more neutral. They're like, okay, so there's this energy here. Okay, so it's here. Where um a human um is, you know, thinking more 3D like, uh, why is this here? This is not, you know, I can't this energy shouldn't be here or it's um it's not comfortable for me. The, uh, the animals don't have that same, um, they don't compute it the same way. Um, it's just, this is what it is, and okay, you know, whatever. But uh, people have it, you know, translate it differently. And, it, and it, I think it affects people um, differently and on, on different levels, because there's different things going yeah. on with uh, with people, as you know. You know, it goes yeah. a lot deeper. Well, we we hear from time to time where you know a dog, particularly dog, might bark at a an area of the room where there's nothing. You know, um, and for those that can't see, 
they don't know what's going on except they sense that, oh, maybe there's some presence mm-hmm. there, maybe there's some ghost, but the animal is reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, sure. On? Yeah, so they're they're reacting to some negative energy then. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, I mean, let's see. Do we want to call it like a lower frequency energy, um, which would be... Um, described as as negative because it is stuck in the uh the ethers here when it, and it really probably needs to go over um so negative lower frequency yes they are responding to that they can they can sense it okay okay now quickly guide dogs and dogs that are used in service like the military would you or the police would use dogs to search for explosives or drugs or stuff like that or guide dogs how do they react to that to being in service like that or being trained in that particular way oh you know animals love to have a job and they're proud of their job so a guide dog um and they or 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 a um any kind of service dog or a, a military dog they're proud to do that 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 function they they want to have a job and and uh uh be um you know have a responsible purpose in the world so that they're okay with that um and dogs um especially dogs most dogs are service not most dogs but dogs are usually in the service field um they come there i mean things they they come into that um that particular position because that's what they're meant to do so they're very proud of that they you know dogs uh, not cats so much. Cats are pretty independent, but horses and dogs definitely want a job. That's good to know. Cats can um, say, I, you know, what they say about cats, cats rule and dogs drool. It's very true. Cats <laughs> could care less. Okay, I have a question, too, about cats, since you brought them up. You know, I personally always am in conflict when I see an owner who you know, declaws their cat and keeps it inside because they're afraid the cat will, you know, get eaten by a coyote or get hit by a car. And yet you go to their house, yeah, you go to their house and the cat is, like, trying everything it can do to get outside. And I just feel so sad thinking this cat, who's, you know, naturally wants to be out, will never be allowed to be out and be confined to this little house. I mean, you know, what about that? There's some cats that are okay being inside, but I um, believe that cats really would like to feel the grass under their feet and the sunshine uh, above them and look at the sky. And, well, declawing is really not a good thing to do at all, so um, that's really not good. That's definitely Yeah, that's what I feel, too. I feel it's, it's so unnatural, to me, you know, it seems. It's the cutting of tails on some dogs for or cosmetic. I all that all that type of thing is for uh, people and how um, they want their you know the dog to look. It, it's all people uh, generated. It's I'm not you know a fan of any of that stuff, especially of decoying. But but cats love to be outside. They love to feel they the do. grass under their paws and and have the sunshine come down and look at the sky. And you can train a cat to go on a leash, because I've trained my little boy to to do that. I mean, he'd rather be out roaming, but um, 
they're not allowed to be out roaming here. And I already got um, notified. Your cat was seen here. So I'm like, all right, Archer, you need to you go on a leash now. Not, not that he's in favor of that, but it's better than not going outside at all. But uh, there are cats that are happy in the house, but I think most of them want to be in nature and, and, and feel the blades of grass and, and yes. feel the sunshine. They need vitamin D anyway. Unfortunately, we are coming to the wind-down last minute or two of our show today, and we've been speaking with Edna Massey, who's an animal communicator and animal, animal intuitive. And we've been speaking about uh, high-frequency energy healing with animals, um, asking animals to leave a particular house or something like that, uh, finding them, communicating with them remotely. We've talked about uh, the animals and um, what Edna does and what a vet does and how they complement each other. Uh, we've spoken about cancer in animals, animals that have crossed over. Uh, we've talked about some animals perhaps choosing suicide, uh, behavior problems with animals, lost pets and how they can be located and how Edna Massey can help locate these lost pets. And we've talked about communicating animals communicating across species and she has given us marvelous information about how her animal communication session works, what's involved and how to go about it. And we even touched on the whole business of the naming of animals and the importance of names, the characteristics of these names. We talked about euthanizing animals, uh, the whole breeding and genetics of animals, electromagnetic interference with animals, guide dogs, ghosts. We, we, we covered a fabulous amount of information today, and it's been an absolute pleasure, Edna, Edna Massey. So people, to get in touch with you, they can contact you at equilibries, that's E-Q-U-I-L-I-B-R-I-S-E dot net, or her telephone number is 914-584-5454. Edna, we'll have to say goodbye. Uh, we've given out your contact details so our listeners will be able to get in touch with you. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that wonderful information with us today. And I thank you very much, and I'm in gratitude, and you folks are wonderful. Love you guys. Love you too. Thanks, Edna. Okay. Okay, Edna, we have to go, but we will be in touch again at some okay. stage. We appreciate you and your knowledge and your information and your abilities. Well, thank okay. You. Now... We have a wonderful show coming up next week. Do stay tuned. Get in touch with us. And if anybody wants to get uh, contact us, it's angelrose at angelrose.com. That's A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E dot com. Thank you very much for listening in, and we'll talk to you.